0: Open with word prayer. Oh God of mercy, God of peace, God of love, we pray, Lord, that our attention now would be fixed on this word, this testimony of what happened in one man's life, but an unlikely convert, Lord, to the way and the truth in life. We pray, Lord, that it would have to be a word that would encourage would challenge, would stir within us, Lord, something that we could take away today uh, to inspire us in our next step in our journey with you, God. There's a room full of people here. We're all in different places in our, in our walk with you, Lord, in our spiritual journey. Some of us are returning to you for the first time in many years. Uh, there, there's some of us who've been walking faithfully with you our whole lives, and there's some of us uh, who don't want to be here this morning, frankly we're here under duress. We've been invited, we've been cajoled, our arms have been twisted to come to church. Uh, And and that might be even in the account of what happened in one man's life. Lord, wherever we are, we pray that we would experience today your mercy, your love, and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we are in the midst of our next series. The next series coming out are uh, discipleship plans for, for uh, us to, in encouraging us and taking our next step in discipleship. So we're real excited. Look at this massive, this thing's huge. And it's going to be out in the foyer. And so every time you come to church, if you're wondering, well, what, what is the next step in my spiritual journey? Is there a resource I could find? Is there an opportunity to serve? Can I talk to someone about spiritual matters? I've got questions about God. Who's got the answers? Right out there in the foyer. You'll see this display. There'll be people there who want to meet with you and talk to you and hear your story. We're really excited about what God's God's store for us. So, in our next series, we've defined discipleship this way. It's on your bulletin and it's on the screen. We've been looking at this: how Jesus made disciples, and so we've broken this down. We've said discipleship is a lifelong, relational, spirit and power pursuit of becoming more like. Jesus. So, lifelong, we looked at the story of Nicodemus who had spent his whole life thinking he was pursuing God until he met Jesus and he turned everything upside down or right side up in Nicodemus's life. And, and discipleship, becoming more like Jesus, is relational. It's not just a series of things we have to learn and there's going to be a test at the end of the day. It's a relationship with Jesus, not just a religion. And we saw that in the story of the woman at the well who had this powerful encounter with the living Lord Jesus who who spoke truth into her life? Just went right to the, the deepest, hardest, soft spot in her life that brought healing and light there. And so it's relational. And it's spirit-empowered. And, and we had we had a spirit-empowered service last week, didn't With Bible preaching about the beginning of the story of Saul on his way to Damascus, and then this powerful spiritual experience. And then finally today, we're considering the pursuit. One of the wonderful truths of the Bible is that if you pursue God, you will be found. Isn't that a great truth, if promise? And you can encourage someone with that. If you, if you pursue God, the fact that you even really come to this next uh, exhibit out here in the border next week or in the weeks to come, the fact that you, you're here, even under duress, you're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe there's something uh, to this this renewing of my faith or coming to faith for the first time, the Bible promises that if you pursue God, you'll be found. But an even greater truth, an even more wondrous one hard to wrap our brains around in the gospel is that before we start pursuing God, He is pursuing us. God is pursuing you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly your situation, your condition, he knows what's going on in your mind and in your heart, and he's coming after you because he loves you. He wants you to be in his family, and that's what we see here. We see God pursuing a very unlikely convert. Now, a couple chapters earlier, if we were to turn back I think it's in chapter 5, there's a, a scene, a situation, in the situation room, if you will, the Sanhedrin, these were the elders of Israel, they're gathered, they're rubbing their hands because they're not sure what to do with this, this sect, these Jewish people who've now said that this Jesus is the Messiah. And they're gaining strength, and they're gaining numbers, and they don't know what to do about it. And so they're, they're talking mysterious, they're trying to figure it out. These are the elders who oversee all the commerce and, and all the legal issues of the nation, and also all the religious issues. It's all in, in one cabal, if you will. And Saul is there. And his mentor, uh, 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 Ged- Gediel advised Israel, this is uh, chapter 5, 14, he, he advises Israel's elders, he says, look, leave these apostles alone. He says, leave them alone. He says in Acts chapter 5, if they are of man, if this message that they're Promoting is just something they cooked up. They'll be gone by the next season. Because they've seen it happen time and time again. Someone promises they are the Messiah, They've promised that they will uh, turn everything to, to a new day. They'll kick out the Romans. Every single time it's happened, he reminds them they're gone in a flash. And then he says, but if they are from God, there'll be no stopping them. So he says, leave them alone. And what did the Sanhedrin, these religious men, do? What did they do to leave the apostles alone? It says in Acts chapter 5, well, to leave them alone, they flogged them, whipping them mercilessly, and then ordered them to stop talking about Jesus and sent them on their way. Don't raise your hand, but I I imagine none of us here have ever been (laughs) flogged publicly. And then ordered, don't ever talk about Jesus again. Listen to their response. How do the apostles respond. One of the great testimonies of why our faith is true. It has the, the ring of truth. They rejoice, it says, for they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Can you imagine walking away from being beat by the police and saying, Thank you, Lord, for counting me worthy to be beaten and to be bruised for your name's sake. They weren't going to be stopped. So that wasn't good enough for Saul. Saul wasn't going to let it alone. He was going to hunt them down. He was going to hunt them down throughout Jerusalem. And now Damascus, that's 150 miles away. He's going to hunt these Christians down. But we see here, as he was pursuing the Christians, Jesus Christ was pursuing him. And the hunter became the hunted. And we looked at that incredible scene last week of him falling down and hearing from the Lord Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, Who are you? Lord, he says, I'm Jesus. And see, so he told us he was blinded at that moment and led by the hand to this Damascus. And that's where we find him. In a house. Blind. Now let me ask you a question. I, I have bad eyesight. I can barely see the page because the lights are kind of dim today. But I, yeah, I can see fairly well. Uh, maybe some of us here are near side or far side. Maybe there's someone here who's legally blind. Does your eyesight affect your appetite? <laughs> I mean, Saul, it says he's blind. He cannot see. But then it also says he's not eating. Why isn't he eating? What you Has he lost his appetite? Huh? Probably yep. Are you a little freaked out? We lost? A little tummy issues? <laughs> or could he be fasting? Could he be fasting? That spiritual discipline that he would have been taught as a child, the power of prayer and fasting, seeking out the Lord. Lord, what is happening? I can't eat. I can't drink. Please, oh God, please give me an answer. That, that, that's not just a passive prayer. That's not just a, oh Lord, we pray that, that, that our team wins today, and we do. This is prevailing prayer. Prayer that doesn't stop until there's an answer. He just keeps praying, saying, Lord, what's happened? My whole life has been turned upside down. How could this be, please, oh God, give me an answer? What's missing from the equation while he lies there praying? He's not filled yet with the Holy Spirit. He's not filled yet with the Holy Spirit. You know, there there might be someone here who says, I've been praying and praying and praying, and i never get an answer. I'm so frustrated. I keep coming to the Lord. You people keep talking about he's here for me. He he wants good for me, but I'm not getting any answers. I think that's where Paul is, Saul, this morning. Praying, but not getting an answer, because the Holy Spirit hasn't come into his life yet, but he's had this encounter with the Lord. And at some moment, everything stops. And the Lord gives him a vision A vision of a man Coming to him To bring a word Of healing And so he waits Point number one in your bulletin When you admit your helplessness Apart from Jesus Christ You are then ready To embrace him as Savior And Lord Have you come to that point in your life? I, I, just, I just give up. I just, I give up for it. And it's when you come to that point, when you come to the end of your rope, when everything else has been taken away, when you've got nothing left to take, that's when you learn that Jesus is all you need. Maybe some of us here haven't gone to that point. I'm not, I'm not helpless. i got it together. I just have a few questions. I'm curious about a few things. So we come to the point of helplessness, laid out of spiritual blindness becoming a reality. Then and only then can you embrace him as Savior and Lord. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we were singing about that this whole morning, what it means to be in Christ to be in a relationship with Christ, to have a communion with God, to be able to speak to the Lord. You know, John the Apostle, we, we looked at John, he was able to lay his head on Jesus' chest. And Paul later in life, he says, I was caught up to the, the third heavens. He has this vision of the Lord. But there's nothing that compares to the accessibility that you have right now to come and commune with the living God if you are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. So when you receive him in this way, humbly, when you confess your sin, when you turn from it, when you stop pursuing the ways of the world, you start pursuing the ways of God, that's when he begins to work in your life. You say, Lord, I want you to work in all of my life, not in just one little quadrant, not just... On Sundays, or maybe I'll make it as I as I can to fit you in. Maybe a smaller group, maybe a Bible study, maybe five minutes of prayer. I'll see if I can if I can make time for it. he wants all of it. He wants to be in all of your life. And that's what Saul's experiencing here. When he's helpless is what Jesus catches his attention. God deliberately chose Saul because he was the worst of the worst. And the meanest of the mean. That's like come He was the worst of the worst and the meanest of the mean. He was Christian's nightmare. I mean, if you're drafting your draft picks for uh, an NFL draft, like they if, if, if were doing that, you guys have your guys and gals. like a commission of a team, would you choose the worst of the worst on your team? No, right? You want the best of the best, and the Lord chooses the worst of the worst to be his what? His chosen instrument. Where God said, this man Saul will be my chosen instrument to bring the gospel to Israel, but then also to all the nations. Saul, who becomes Paul, was taking his next step in a lifelong pursuit. And he was going to pay dearly for it. Jesus says to Ananias, who's kind of freaking out when he says he will learn how much he must suffer for my name. One of the most meaningful hinge moments, aha moments in in my ministry happened last week on the stage when David Miles, our director of discipleship, said to our congregation, we don't want you to be comfortable. (laughs) That that flies in the face of everything that American evangelicalism has taught for for forever, but especially the past 30 years, the seeker-sensitive movement, the make make it comfortable for the boomers movement. We want you to feel comfortable. We want you to just feel loved and cozy. We're going to make sure those chairs are plush. We want you to be comfortable because the idea being, you come, you feel comfortable, then we will give you the message. David Miles threw all that out. We're launching all this new stuff, all these people coming to check things out. we got a new worship leader. He says, we don't want you to be comfortable. He's on something. We want you to be loved. We want you to be known. We want you to be accepted. We want you to be encouraged. We want you to know that we will build a bat for you, that we will surround you and your family, whatever situation you're in. We don't want you to be comfortable. We want to encourage and and exhort and walk with you in the next step. And quite frankly, the next step, for those of us who have been walking Jesus for a long time, it may be an uncomfortable step. Some of us in this church have been coming since it was founded. There might be a step that the Lord is calling you to take that is uncomfortable. And that's okay. Because Lord Jesus, if he can say it to Saul, he will learn how much he must suffer for my name. Who among us is exempt? So maybe some of us have been very comfortable. Maybe I've been a little bit too comfortable. Say, Lord, what is that place you want to take me to? What's that next step? If anyone was too far gone, it was this man Saul. Now Saul shares his testimony a number of times uh, in the book of Acts, but most profoundly here, uh, look at First Timothy 1, 12 to 17. Let me just preface this by thinking, is there anyone too far gone? Is there anyone too far from the Lord that can never be brought back? Anyone? No. The Lord will pursue and win anyone he chooses. Look at what he says here to, to Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. This is, this is now his name changed to Paul that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus was, was what? Just checking, just check, we're in together, okay. Poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save perfect people. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Sinners! Of whom, he says, I am the worst. Who's got two thumbs and is completely undeserving of the grace of Jesus Christ? This guy. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And they embrace him the praise. Now to God, eternal, immortal, invisible God, the only God, who honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God uses imperfect people for his perfect plans. Who is unlikely? Who is unlikely in your life? Think about it. Think about a neighbor or a family member that you know, or a co-worker, who you know this person will never, ever, ever change. Maybe someone who's a very devout to their religion, like this is culture, this is nationality. They barely even speak English. I, I don't even know. Maybe someone who you just know is just given, uh, I don't want to say an expletive, they've said bad words about Christianity. Who's the most unlikely person in your life they're still in your life? They're still in life. You can't write them off. You can't get rid of them. I, I want to encourage you. In we weeks to come, we're going to have these cards Pastor Mark's put together uh, with Trista. It says here on this card, it's a reminder card <laughs> for praying for that one very unlikely person in your life. It says, pray one, bring one, love one. We're going to have these out. In the weeks to come, you'll hear more about it. I want to see this on on your refrigerator, your desk, in your backpack. Who are you praying for? Who's the one person? Choose a tough case. Choose someone like, okay, the most unlikely person. Who's the most unlikely person in high school? You guys are all thinking, don't don't say their name. Don't say it. (laughs) Pray for that person. Bring that person and love that person. Because we have another disciple in the story. I'm almost done. Ananias. Ananias, he's just minding his own business, right? He's just minding his own business, and the Lord gives him a vision too. Go and see this man, and lay hands on him and pray for him. Can you just imagine, I mean, we have the, the, the recording of Luke, but just imagine, just in modern language, what would Ananias be saying to the Lord? Um, uh, excuse me, Lord? Um, I know this guy. He's a bad dude. I do I laughed about it, but think about it this way. Ananias, follower of, of Jesus, he would surely have had friends who had already been persecuted and had died for their faith. Do you know anyone who is, who's died for their faith? We have brothers and sisters in Nick and Robert, who are dying for their faith. Do you know anyone whose blood has been shed in the streets? Do you know anyone, I'm sure Ananias did, who's a widow? Because someone murdered their husband in front of their children, and I did. Do you know anyone who, who knows a widow and has orphans running around, and the community has to figure out, how are we going to raise these children now that their father is dead and their mother has gone missing? And in all that, there's one name, there's one person responsible and if not directly indirectly, he gets all the attention and his name is Saul of Tarsus, a young upstart Pharisee from Jerusalem who's coming to Damascus. Lord, this guy, this is the man you want me to reach out to. The two words that stand out to me more than, than anything else in this passage and it's just so incredible. I and Ananias takes that next step so quickly wants to obey the Lord as hard as it is, as frustrating and as painful as it is, to obey the Lord, look at these two words. Brother Saul. Can you imagine? To call a murderer. Someone who's killed your friends. Burned down your church. The Lord says, no, they've changed. I've saved them. I'm rescuing them. And I want you to go lay hands on him. And his first words out of his mouth. Brother Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The church's greatest persecutor transformed into the church's greatest teacher and missionary just like that. We all saw a movie earlier in the summer where there was a, a big snap. Everything changed, right? Just like that. A new life came. The Lord, yeah. Right. The Lord stretched Ananias' faith to reach out in love. The further you go in your faith, my friends. The next step after the next step in obedience, walking with the Lord, the Lord will call you to deny your old life, to deny your comfort, to deny the things that you want your way in order to receive more of the life of God. No one here, I imagine, will be asked by the Lord, go and lay hands on the man responsible for killing your friends. But if we have that recorded in Scripture, then surely the Lord is prompting some of us here to take a step of faith that will stretch us and make us very uncomfortable. And if you are resisting that because of your schedule, because of your own priorities, then you're missing out on the full life of God. And so you need to be convicted of that. In order to experience more God, more love, more life, you must lose your old life And make room for the overflowing life of God. You must deny the old life. And leave it behind. And take the next step that the Lord is calling you to. Because the Lord is still pursuing you. Even after you've been saved. Even after you've given your life to Jesus and told him, Lord and Savior, he's still pursuing you. He's still wanting to be with you. He's still wanting to grow closer to you. And to use you and to use our church to transform a lively people through the work of the ministries and missions of the local church. I gathered this past week with 16 pastors. This has never happened. We've never had this many pastors from Maple Valley, come to and Black Diamond. We were sharing breakfast together. we We were seeing and sharing stories. The Lord's on the move. He's on the move. Something's happened here. There's something exciting That we get to be a part of. You want to be a part of that? You want to be a part of what God's doing next? Join us next week and we'll we'll see what the Lord has to say about His call in our lives. Let's pray. Brother Saul, Lord, I just think about people that irritate me and that I just have that frustrated thought in my mind, maybe it's being cut off on a road. I always thought everyone was so friendly driving here, but there's so many more cars and we're driving like we're in LA now. (laughs) And then here Lord we're we're confronted with a disciple who said Brother Saul, there are unlikely people that you put in our lives, you put in our paths. We want to be an instrument Lord of your grace. Um, Humble instruments of your grace. Uh, May we be reminded in the story of Saul's conversion, that there's no one too far gone. There's no one too far gone, too far gone, and you're pursuing this, God. Lord, as we continue to sing this morning, as we continue to, as we collect the morning offering, we pray, oh God, that it would be wholly acceptable to you, Lord, that you would bless it, that you would multiply its impact. In the power of your name, O God, nothing can stand against you, Lord Jesus. So we pray for the ministries and missions of our church, because we're about to commission our, our preschool teachers, Lord, to know nothing can stand in the way of, of the good that's happening in and through our church. So we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, the privilege it is, this, to see the next things you will be doing in us. And they might be uncomfortable, they might be hard, but, Lord, they'll be worth it because we will experience more and more of the life you have promised to your people. Praise in Jesus' name and all God's children say.